Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 319 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are here in the wake of a very eventful week. We had Coach K's press conference on Thursday. We had John Shire's press conference on Friday. Wow, the news has been coming fast and furious for Duke fans as we, I guess we've officially begun sort of the beginnings of the transition from the Coach K era to the John Shire era. We are going to, in just a couple of moments, be joined by someone who's known John Shire since he was in high school. Um, you're going to get some real great insight into the man who's about to be the next coach of the Duke Blue Devil uh, men's basketball team. But before we do that, time for introductions. You know me by now, 319 of these in the books. If you don't know who I am, you're not paying attention. I'm Jason Evans. I'm joined, as I always am, by Sam Klein and Donald Wine. Sam, I'll go to you first. You are in the least interesting place of the three of us right now. You're at home, right? I wouldn't say that my home is uninteresting, but I wouldn't say it's particularly interesting. So uh, I am excited to continue talking about John Shire, talking about Coach K's retirement, and uh, and doing it today with uh, not just the three of us, but but we have a a new voice, uh, so to speak, on the on the topic here. So excited to get into all that. Uh, the only reason I said your place was uninteresting is because Donald's in a very interesting place after a very interesting weekend, folks. As you may recall, we we did not hear live from Donald last week because he was on planes and doing fun, cool stuff. Donald, update the folks on why you sound weird and where you have been. Well, I sound weird because I have been capoing, which is basically in Cameron talk, I've been leading the cheers for the U.S. men's national team's biggest supporters group. And over the course of this week, I have been leading the cheers for about, oh, 350 minutes of soccer action for the U.S. men's national team as they won the Nations League. So I am here in Philadelphia airport uh, trying to get to my flight home because I missed it last night because the game went so long. So I appreciate everyone's flexibility and why my voice sounds like an unfolded lawn chair. That's uh, that's you're forgiven, man. After, after the excitement of that uh, USA Mexico game last night, you are more than forgiven. Uh, but um, we, we now want to get to our guests. Uh, one of the things I thought of when I heard that John Shire was going to be the next Duke coach um, after Coach K is done for the next year was, I, I was like, I, people need to get to know more about who he is, his philosophy, you know, everything about this man. And, and I happen to have someone, a, a journalistic colleague that I know who, who is a great person, a great resource for this. His name is Jordan Brenner. He joins us now. Jordan is a freelance journalist who has spent most of his career at ESPN. Um, he has been an editor of ESPN, the magazine. He's written a number of stories about Duke. Um, and specifically about John Shire. Jordan, thanks a lot, and welcome to the podcast. What's up, Jason? Hey, Donald. Hey, Sam. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Hey, so I want to start by by hearing from you. Tell me your connection to John Shire. When did you get to know him? How do you know him? That kind of stuff. Well, it's actually kind of interesting because um, I was I was sort of freelance. I was a researcher slash freelance writer at ESPN the magazine very early in my career. It was um, must have been the summer of two thousand five um and i saw a story about a, a kid in illinois who had just committed to duke and who'd won a state title and his whole uh high school starting five was uh jewish or half jewish and i was like whoa that's pretty cool i'm like i, I think there might be a, a a bigger story on this so i i looked up and the more i found it uh, more interested i was i pitched the story and it ended up being the first like full-length feature i ever wrote for the mag so um went out that summer and saw John play at the, uh, the old Nike camp in Indianapolis. And then, um, 
spent some time with him and his family in, in Illinois um, and got to know him really well. And so it sort of, it was like a, you know, I got hired as an editor full time shortly after that. So I sort of, there was always like a nice connection to the sort of the beginning of his career at Duke and my career in, in journalism. Um, and we just always sort of stayed in touch um, and ended up doing a, a later project, which I'm sure we can get into as well. But, um, you know, that first story really kind of gave me a glimpse into the, the person he was becoming. Um, and he, he was really impressive. And, you know, I wish I could tell you, like, the second I met him, I said, I'd say that's Coach K's successor. But, you know, I did know there was something special about the kid pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, give me some more um, impressions of him. Uh, I mean, were you primarily looking at him as a basketball player or, or did you get to know him as a person at all? I mean, definitely as a person. You know, that's that's the benefit of writing a, a magazine style feature, right? You're sort of looking to, to, to get an understanding of what makes someone tick and how they fit into the landscape. And it was like very clear that he was his own person. You know, he was coming into Duke and it was he was sort of in the recruiting class that was going to replace J.J. Redick and Sheldon Williams and stuff. And, uh, you know, there was this... Uh, tendency to want to look at another um, white shooting guard and be like, oh, he's another Reddick. And he's not. His game was so different from J.J. Reddick's. And it was, um, you know, I, I, so I ended up writing a lot of a story actually about, you know, how, how you, people kind of wanted to put him in a box. And he didn't really check any, any, you know, uh, any preconceived notions people had of who he was supposed to be. Um, but, I, I, you know, I think from a very you know, well, at least from when I met him, you know, you could really see the way he thought the game and saw the game. Um, it was at a really advanced level, you know, even at, um, even at that Nike camp, I just remember, um, you know, it's a lot of like, it, it, you know, it's, these are kids who are thrown together elite prospects, but it's not exactly like they're running, you know, team concepts and stuff like that. And even, even then you could sort of see the way he saw the game, um, and set his teammates up and things like that. Um, he, he likes to joke that even in, uh, I think it was the, uh, the McDonald's game or the Jordan Classic, one of those two, he, uh, he was setting Kevin Durant up all the time. So he's like, yeah, you know, I got Kevin Durant, the MVP. I think he's made that joke a few times. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he just, he just had a really good grasp of how to play and then the ability to sort of like do something special in a big moment, which I, I think we saw progress through his due career. I was going to say, Jordan, this is Sam. As we kind of look at John Shire's playing career, as you said that you couldn't have seen him in high school and said, that's going to be the next Duke head coach. That's going to be Mike Krzyzewski's replacement. But looking back on his Duke career, we know that John Shire went from being a freshman, a star freshman, like he was the he was arguably the, the best freshman on that team in 2007 that that really underwhelmed. Uh, getting a six seed and, and losing in the first round of the tournament and then progressing through the rest of his career, becoming a senior captain, an All-American and a national champion, most importantly for, for him and his and his team. What do you see in that progression that you think portends the way that he might be a leader for this Duke basketball program going forward? I think a couple things um, step it's a great question because I think I could draw like maybe like three lessons from his career. One, um, one was he wasn't afraid of the moment. So as a freshman to, you know, to step in and start right away, um, a team that struggled, you know, he talked in his press conference about the two, four game losing streaks. Obviously everyone remembers Eric Maynard um, hitting that shot over him and the gash in his eye. I remember seeing him in the locker room and he had to get all stitched up. It was, a, it was a, you know, it, that was a, a terrible night for him, but that he really had a good year and he, you know, sort of, um, he came in maybe a little behind Gerald Henderson on the recruiting rankings and he, and he sort of outplayed him as a freshman and 
I think he, he may have produced more than people thought he did. The next year, if you remember, they moved him off the bench. And I think that adaptability and, and sort of his willingness to assume a different role and, and try to do what was best for the team, um, you know, shows kind of the nature of his character. And then if you remember his, uh, his junior year, the real change came when they put the ball in his hands. It, it was probably overdue. Um, they probably stuck with Greg Paulus far too long. Um, I'm sure Duke fans have opinions on that. Um, it probably, oh, are we going to, are we going to relitigate uh, that? Cause we didn't do, we didn't have the show going at the time and, and we, we never are, got to argue about Greg Paulus's place on the team. We're, we are not relitigating that. There is no question. Love you, Greg Paulus. There's no question. John Shire near the ball in his hands done litigation over. <laughs> so, but I think, um, I think that, uh, you know, then really putting him in the hands, he grew into a, a different level and made everyone around him better and not always in, you know, it wasn't that he was always breaking down the defense and, you know, like Jay, Jay will would, you know, he, he'd get Carlos Boozer layups because he just killed two people off the dribble and then, you know, slide the ball over him for a dunk. John wasn't necessarily doing that, but he was getting people shots. He was getting people the ball in the right place. And then we clearly saw that his senior year. And I think the thing I would add for his senior year is if you remember that, obviously that team um, was kind of in disarray going into that summer, right? They, they lost some people unexpectedly um, to, to transfers in, in the NBA and, you know, I think for a long time, John and Nolan were the only two guards on the roster other than Jordan Davidson, I think. And then, uh, and obviously Andre Dawkins came in in the summer and reclassified, but you know, Kyle Singler, who's played a lot of five his first two years, sliding down to the three and there's this tall team and how is this going to grow? And I think like, it would have been natural to get caught up in like the idea of like, this is my senior year. What happened? Where's my team around me? And like the power of his belief in himself and his teammates and people to grow, um, you know, when I talked to him that year and then when I saw him and eventually did a story on him that year, which we can get into when, when you guys want. Um, I just think he always believed that he would be ultimately successful. And um, not every athlete has that. And I think John has it in spades. Hey, hey wait, let's let's get into that story now. As long as you're talking about it. Uh, tell us about the, the next article you did on on John Shire. So I, I, I really wanted to follow up with him. Um, later in his career. And, and, you know, obviously the fact when you have a relationship, any, any writer, you know, if you have a relationship with a subject, it just makes it sort of that much easier to, um, to spend time with them and, and get to that next level of um, insight. So what we ended up doing was, um, it was sort of a multimedia project on, um, we called it senior week. Um, and it was his, his last week before the AC tournament. So um, they played a road game at Maryland and the conference title was on the line. I think they could, if they'd won it. They would have won the, regular season outright. Um, so they played up at Maryland. It was a great tight game and, and came out of the wire and uh, Maryland won. And they came back for the Carolina game to win a share of the um, title. And that was a really bad Carolina team, I think. And I think Duke beat him by 30. But we, um, we spent like a week, you know, with a camera crew and we did sit down interviews with him and Coach K and his teammates. And every day I did sort of a different um, installment um, writing about, him from a different angle, whether it was his family and friends who all came in for the game or teammates and what they learned from him or coach K about the kind of kid he was. So it was a really great, um, it was a really great way to see how he'd matured in, in, in four years. Um, but also like, it really gave me that glimpse that like, Oh my God, this team really may go win a national championship. Like, cause it was impossible to spend time with him um, and not come away believing that at the very least they had a chance. Like he wasn't like, we don't have weaknesses. We don't have, you know, but I think he knew that 
you know, okay, if Duke plays this way and we do this and so-and-so listens to, you know, the scouting report on this thing and, and, you know, and Zoobs keeps improving the ways and improving and we do this, right? Like, I think he saw in his head how they could win with what they had. Um, and I, th- I think maybe he, he maybe recognized it before K did in, in, in some ways, it, just in that, you remember those stories of, right? Like coach K East level of that team is like, you're a good team. Now you're a really good team. Then he finally told them they were a great team after they won. Right. Because it wasn't, that wasn't a team that blew people away. They had a, in Duke parlance, it had a very uh, different way of playing basketball, but they made it work. And I think, um, look, obviously Kyle Singler, Nolan Smith were fantastic on the team. All the bigs played great, but I think John was the um, connective tissue between all of that, that took it to another level. Jordan, you know, some players, when they're playing, you get the sense that they're going to become a coach or they have that quality that they want to be a coach. In your time with John during those years, did you look at him and say, oh, this is a guy who wants to be a coach? Or do you think that his path changed when he tried to go pro and had those injuries and was forced to kind of decide where to go in life? You know, I didn't have – it's funny. I didn't – because I always assumed the next step was going to be pro basketball, I never really had – conversations I think I probably um you could tell he saw the game the way a coach would right but like it's also like do you really does anyone really want to coach it's a really hard lifestyle it's a lot of pressure it's a lot of um you know so I didn't know what he was going to want to do in terms of prioritizing his life at that time I had I had no doubts at that time that he was going to be a pro basketball player um it was it was jarring just for me as someone who thinks he knows the game well and who talks to people to see him go undrafted um, that year, um, especially after a couple of people I knew told me he'd probably go, you know, early second round at the latest. And I was kind of, I was going back to my NBA sources and what happened. thing it hurt him that he couldn't work out for some teams when he had mono. And, but again, I think a lot of people don't always get his game until you get him in the program. Um, and then obviously he was with the heat that summer and there was going to be a fantastic opportunity for him because they just signed LeBron and Chris Bosch and they were going to have to fill out the roster with some minimum contract guys I know Eric Spolster was impressed with him already that summer. Um, I've had people tell me that he had a really good shot to make that team. And I feel like if he'd gotten into that environment with those kinds of players who are, forget great players, but who his basketball IQ could have melded with, who are really smart players, I'm not at all convinced that he wouldn't have had a good NBA career. Your mileage may vary. I'm biased. I like the guy. I I, I want him to do well. But I, I think I know the game pretty well, and I think he – I think John has a way of figuring things out. And I think he figured things out when that disappeared with that devastating eye injury. Um, I think he figured out a way to take his career in a different direction. Um, and I don't know if you can say things work out for a reason, cause I don't think they do. And I don't think, I don't think missing out on potentially playing with LeBron and Wade and Bosch is, you know, a reason, but I mean, there's no question he wouldn't be the head coach of Duke at, you know, in waiting at 33 if he hadn't gotten injured. So I think you figure out, you know, just like if you've got a, a quicker defender on you and you can't get to the hoop, you know, you got to figure out a different way to score. He figured out a different way to be successful. And if we fast forward, it wasn't long after his short lived career. I know that he um, did that one summer league with the NBA. He went overseas very briefly, but then ultimately decided to, to hang it up, I guess, because the, the injuries sort of prevented him from being able to progress. And he was back at Duke 
uh, I think a lot sooner than, than anybody expected, even if you had said, oh yeah, he's going to retire and go become a coach. Um, what do you remember from his, his sort of return to Duke? Cause by the time the team was, was in route to its next national championship in 2015, he was on the bench as a, as an assistant. And that's only five years after he graduated. So how did that transition work for him? And, and was there anything that you noticed from his initial time as a, as an assistant coach still being pretty young as he, as he still is that, um, that, that was kind of like, Oh yeah, I, I, I could, I can see the echo of that from his experience as a player, even, even in high school or, or in college. You know, I don't know. I, I didn't spend a lot of time down you know, there and we check in here and there, but you know, especially when he was trying to adjust to a different life, I tried not to bother him as much like uh, to, uh, you know, so, you know, I, I think I, I too was a little surprised how quickly it happened, but you know, watching him, you know, when you can only see out of one eye, you just, you can't play basketball at a high level as hard as it is. And watching him, you know, try to make it work at, at Maccabi Tel Aviv and Grand Canaria and in the D league and everything else. And it just, you could see he wasn't the same guy. And it was it, for anyone who, anyone who liked him as a player or cares about him as a person or anything like that, it, it's, it's heartbreaking, right? Like to know what a guy's capable of and then to, this total fluke accident just to have such an effect on him that way. Um, you know, I, I, I can't speak for John in terms of what that early time at Duke was like, other than, you know, I think it, I think it's a really interesting way to sort of bring someone back into the fold in that there's not much of a big, a, a, of an age difference at that point between him and, and the guys in the program still. Right. If I remember correctly, um, he was back in a support role while Andre Dawkins was still playing there. Um, so it's kind of this interesting bridge you have in terms of relationships. And I think it actually can speak to why he is such a good fit now at a young age to be a head coach, maybe more than some names who were bandied about for years as Coach K's potential successor, but haven't been there in a while. The modern iteration of Duke basketball, this whole sort of brotherhood motif, he's a part of that in a way that um, uh, maybe a Chris Collins or a Wojo or a Tommy Amaker for sure isn't because they were, they were part of a sort of different um, brand of Duke basketball. So I think he, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if he'd say this, but watching from where I am, I sort of, he kind of grew organically with the program and became, I think, um, just sort of a key component of what is modern Duke basketball in, in his role in the coaching staff if that makes any sense. No, it, it definitely does. And let's talk a little bit more about, you know, John Shire, the coach. That's, um, that's, that's the thing that Duke fans are most interested, interested in right now. Um, I know you've kept up with him a bit over the years um, since he's become a coach, probably not as, you know, as intense as, as when he was a player and, and you were first getting to know him, but, but give us some, some thoughts, some impressions of, uh, uh, you know, of, of how John Shire is as, as a teacher and, and as a recruiter and all the other things that go into being a coach. You know, I look, I've never been in the room with him. I've never been, and I've never been, I haven't been in the locker room to see his, how he runs a practice or anything like that. But um, I think the thing, first of all, the thing I hear about from other people in um, the college SO world, he's really relational. Um, he makes great connections with people from all sort of different walks of life, which I think is obviously like maybe, probably, wouldn't you agree it's that sort of like necessary skill number one if you're going to be a college basketball coach? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You, so, you get, yeah. 
So he's got that. I mean, you, you guys know the players that they brought in to Duke while he was either, you know, on staff or if not the lead, lead recruiter. Right. So I, 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 you know, do, do we have a hundred percent certainty that without coach K there, that that will go exactly the same? No, but you know, he's able to call up someone and say, you want to know about me? Talk to Jason Tatum, talk to Zion Williamson, you know, talk to, you know, um, I heard Jason Williams saying this on, on, on TV recently, and I, I couldn't agree more. Like that is the modern stamp of approval with a modern recruit. And I think that's a, that helps. Um, I, again, I see the way he relates to people. So you, you, you never for a second feel like you're talking to a fraud when you're talking to him, the way you might have like from certain coaches I've talked to and you get that used car salesman where they're, you know, feel where they're like, they're repeating your first name all the time. Like someone learned in a sales class and it just feels a little like, there's like a fake smile. Like John doesn't give that off. John is authentic. And, and um, you know, um, you get something real from him. Obviously we all know and see the way he sees the game. I think that's exciting to sort of see how much and how quickly he sort of puts his own stamp on. And, you know, I don't think he's going to be coach K from an X and O standpoint. That's not his DNA. He, he played basketball before he was with Duke and he played basketball after he was with Duke. And I think he's going to have his own philosophy on pace and analytics and, and type of offense he wants to run and things like that. I think, you'll see different things. And, and, and I'm excited to see what he does with it because, uh, you know, I, I think he'll probably want to play fast. I think he'll probably want to incorporate some movement. Um, but uh, it, it'll be fun to see what, what a, what a Shire um, inspired offense system looks like and how, how, the, you know, what modern um, components of, of defense, maybe they, mold from NBA teams into coach K's philosophy, right? Because he's had a lot of different influences on his, on his life in basketball. And, you know, I don't think, I don't think anyone would want a carbon copy of the head coach they're replacing, even if it's the greatest of all time, I think everyone has to be themselves. And I, I don't think he'll be afraid to be himself put that way. I think you mentioned a lot of John Shire's qualities that we think are going to translate well to becoming the head coach. And obviously he hasn't been a head coach before, so I'm not going to let you say that that's it, but what is going to be the biggest challenge for John Shire in replacing coach K if, other than the lack specifically of head coaching experience, even though he's been as close to coach K's job as anyone has been at least the last few years. Well, I'm certainly not breaking any news here by repeating what everyone else has been saying, which is that the expectations are going to be so enormous that it's almost um, possible to, to imagine anyone navigating that. Um, it, so to me, the question is, is he going to be judged on a, um, and I'll throw this back to you guys as Duke fans, is he going to be judged on a scale of, you better be in the Final Four, you know, pretty much right away, and you better get a national championship in your first five years, and, you know, you better be making deep tournament runs every year, or, by the way, are we going to judge him by the standards of Coach K himself has established in the past 10 to 20 years, which is a national championship here, a national championship there, one or two other final fours, plenty of first round losses, some second round losses, right? It's been a mixed bag. This isn't, this isn't, um, 86 to 94. It hasn't my been years. my years. <laughs> it hasn't been the Jason Evans era, right? It's, um, it, it's gotten tougher for anyone, any team to be a consistently dominant March team just because of the, um, way talent has been spread out, how young the top programs are, um, 64, the nature of a 64 team tournament on and on and on, right. It just a crapshoot. And, and so I think 
in general, college basketball fans put too much stock in the tourney anyway. But yes, then the other challenge again is the fast changing landscape of college basketball. How are you going to handle name image likeness? How are you going to handle this crazy transfer portal? It, it, how are you going to handle what's going to happen with one and done or, or players going to the G League? What kind of a roster do you want to build? I don't know what college basketball is going to look like a year from now. Do any of you? Like it's, it's, a, it's crazy. It's, look, and I would argue that it's, it's never has been there been a time where I would, if someone were coming up to me and saying, hey, I'm gonna, I want to coach in the NBA or I want to coach at college basketball, or I wouldn't say, go to the NBA now and don't look back, right? Like, I, you have to have real, real supreme confidence in yourself right now to step into a college basketball coaching situation in this landscape, let alone Duke. So um, I think it, challenge isn't even a strong enough word to um, explain what this current situation is like. I have no idea if college basketball is even going to be recognizable in five years. I don't even know if you guys are going to want to be doing a podcast on college basketball in five years, if you guys will even care. I mean, <laughs> I kind of want to hear your guys' thoughts on that because the whole nature of the beast is, is in flux. I'll tell you personally that when we started doing this show, I thought that there are a number of reasons why we would have stopped doing this podcast that any of us stopped being interested or, or something, but I think that the main threat to us continuing to do this show for and, and for it to be uh, as fun and engaging as it is, is for Duke to not be good or for college basketball to, to just not be fun anymore. And so I look at, there are basically, yeah, I said, there are two things that could stop us is Duke going in the toilet for like a long time, not just like one year, like this year, Duke misses the tournament. We're still doing these shows. But if Duke goes like a, a, a extended time, I don't think that like, I don't know if there's a BC interruption podcast that does what we do, but I doubt that there, if there is that they're talking about BC basketball nearly as much as we are and not to pick on them. That's just a SB nation blog that came to mind for me. The wake forest too, you know, wake, whoever it's a, whoever it, whoever it is, I'd be surprised if they're as diligent about, about talking about their team as we are. And and the threats to college basketball generally would stop anybody from doing a college basketball podcast. And both of those things for Duke fans seem to be happening at the same time. So we have no plans to, to change the, the, or to scale back the scale of, of our programming. But the, but the, the, the two things that would change it are happening now. And by the way, they're both things that we're excited about. I think that's the most interesting part of this is that we are really excited to see what happens to Coach K's successor. And and I think a lot of the press that we've heard about John Shire in the last few days has been basically all positive about, about this promotion. So we're excited to see where that goes. But then, and, and at the same time, we're excited about the opportunities that student athletes are going to have very soon in the name, image, and likeness realm. And we've been talking about for years how we're we're all sort of in support of that, but we don't really know what it means for the competitiveness of the games, how interesting it is, how much like the, the coverage just becomes a lot more corporate and, and all that when, when we add this in. So uh, my answer is, I don't know. <laughs> nice. Answer. You know, I do think there's something to be said then for having a, you know, a, if, if the game is going to be so different, if the process is going to be so different, if constructing a roster is going to be different, right. There is something to be said for having a young guy who isn't set in his ways of doing it the old way. Who's fine. Okay. This is my new reality. I haven't had an old reality as a head coach on, on that front. There are a couple of 
older head coaches that I'm very curious to see how they do. Like, I imagine that Jim Beheim is going to be is going to come kicking and screaming into the new era. And if I'm going to predict here, we'll probably follow Coach K and Roy Williams out the door sooner than later because he's just going to be so fed up with it so quickly. At the same time, I think there are coaches like Rick Pitino who his whose players love him. Right. Guys who play for Rick Pitino love playing for Rick Pitino. They're all very proud of that. I think he has a, a, a you know, forget sort of the the ways that he's recruited in the past and some of the stuff he's gotten in trouble for. His players like playing for him and he is considered a great sort of in practice and in game coach. And will my question is, will a guy like Rick Pitino adjust and want to keep coaching college basketball in the new world or or, you know, pick pick whatever coach is sort of more on that side than on the Jim Beheim side? Uh, of course, young coaches like John Shire are just going to have to adapt because they don't have a choice. But the older coaches, may, uh, Bob Huggins might be another guy like that who um, who's who's been through the ringer on this stuff and might at some point say, you know what, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Let Leonard Hamilton. Leonard Hamilton's another one too. So um, yeah, there there are plenty of old, experienced college basketball coaches that are going to have to make these decisions soon. I think that even more than the name, image, likeness stuff, because I think. I think a lot of these guys will be really happy to see their players get a piece of the pie, whatever that means. I think the the evolving transfer portal issues um, and the balance between there's there's like a, a, a you know, Jordan before you, before you finish that thought, it's yeah. it, it's the transfer portal and it's also the the advent of more and more avenues for players to get uh, you know the the overtime elite league and the G you know we're we're peeling off more and more kids who could be playing college basketball so that's the other change yeah so i think there's two different issues there i think so first of all the transfer portal you're looking at um two things that are diametrically opposed to each other what's fair versus what's creating the most entertaining product right like there's no question that if you're looking at pure fairness and if you're looking at these basketball players as just college students that just like any college student should have the ability to transfer and goes to another school they should that's what's fair it doesn't lead to a better college basketball product though, when there's massive roster turnover every year, which you don't even have in the pro leagues, right? Cause players sign contracts. Um, so it, it's, it's really hard, I think, to get a casual fan um, in the way you did 20, 30 years ago, when you don't know who's on any roster at the beginning of each year, when the names are all unfamiliar. So that's just, that's just tricky from a pure, not in terms of my opinions on what, what should or could happen, but just, it is, that is the issue um, that college basketball has to figure out. Um, to your point, Jason, I've always said that the best players should be able to get paid to play basketball in a professional environment as early as they want. Um, and I've always thought yeah. if you take that, whatever number is, whether it's 50 or 100 or 200 top players out of college basketball, as long as the other guys are, are in the programs and committed and then and you have them for a couple of years – Nine out of 10 fans wouldn't know the difference. You really wouldn't. It's because- uh, 100% even, agree, yeah. You are rooting for laundry, as Jer Jerry Seinfeld once said, right? You're rooting for the, the uniforms. And and look, I went to a Division three school and I enjoyed the basketball games and nobody there was going pro and nobody, um, you know, our center was 6'5 or 6'7, right? Like um, it, it was still great to go to the games. So if like, if you guys were in Cameron and it wasn't, you know, maybe there was one future NBA player in there and then a lot of role players, but it was still Duke Carolina and it was still places loud and crazy. Like I really think most fans would still enjoy the game because it's about the atmosphere. 
So yeah, everybody wants Zion in college because it's a spectacle for a year. Um, but if, if a guy like Zion has a chance to go play pro right out of high school somewhere and make money right away. And maybe I'm, I'm just using Zion as an example, his, whatever he, you know, if someone wants to play, make money instead and doesn't find a year's education to be that valuable, which is totally understandable, then like let them. And I, and I think that, um, but I just think that needs to be, that needs to get taken care of because there's so much hanging in limbo and to bring this back to John, like, I just think everyone, all the, every coach needs to know what they're working with down the line. What's just tell us the system, tell us what it's going to be, and then we'll make it work. Yeah. Amen. I, I completely agree. And, and we're going to wrap things up. We, we've taken way too much of your time. I, I do want to ask you, have you been able to text or speak with John Shire at all, you know, in the past week or two since, since this news began to leak out and, and, and happen, you know, and what, what have you heard from him about, about his promotion. <laughs> so one, one of the things I've learned as I've gotten older is I try not to bother people too much when they're uh, in um, big moments like this. Um, I figured this was, this was more for him and his close friends and his family. I did shoot him a quick congratulatory text. Um, I was surprised I got a text back early the next morning. Um, very kind and he's very excited. You know, um, I've spoken more to closer friends of his who I know I, I've gotten to know over the years. Um, I'm sure I'll catch up with him um, down the line, but he's got more, way more important things to do right now than chatting with Jordan Brenner. Um, most people do, as a matter of fact, at, at all times, not whether or not they've been named uh, the coach at Duke, but um, no, I'm, I'm sure we'll catch up at some point. Um, but I just, you know, let him know how excited and happy and proud I am. And he, he had a nice response. So. Well, Jordan, we want to thank you again for coming and joining us on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Uh, again, um, you know, you gave us some fabulous insight into, um, you know, John Shire's career and what we can expect and, and hope to learn from him. So, so again, buddy, we really appreciate it. Thanks, man. No problem, guys. Um, happy with you. And, and, and hopefully John will, uh, you guys will be t having this conversation, you know, 30 years from now about his successor. So. I love it. We look forward to that. Thanks, man. Cool. So again, we want to thank Jordan Brenner for all the insight that he gave us. We're going to take a quick break here on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. When we come back, we're going to dive deep, or at least shallow, into the press conferences that happened last week. Coach K announcing his retirement and John Shire being elevated as the coach-in-waiting for the Duke Blue Devils. And we're back. We want to uh, look back a little bit now on the events of late last week. Um, folks, I'm sure you've read plenty of news articles about it. You've probably seen stuff on the news on ESPN and other TV stations. On Thursday, Coach K had a lengthy press conference. On Friday, John Shire had a lengthy press conference. Um, guys, let's talk a little bit about what we heard from those. Donald, I'll go to you first. Um, you know, tell me a little bit of what, what you got from the two men who are the center of the uh, Duke basketball universe at the moment, as, as we heard one beginning to say goodbye and one um, stepping up and, and saying hello to a new job. Well, I'll start with the Coach K interview because it's the one that resonated the most for me. It was very emotional and very rarely have we seen Coach be so emotional when talking about his mom, when he's talking about his dad, his family, 
the players that have come through his program, he really, that really spoke to me, how this was very much a difficult decision. And he then went to decide, hey, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to do it. And, you know, the school was very receiving of that. So I, I really appreciate it that he took it to a place where, you know, it boiled down to him being a bullshit, that this is, this is not an easy decision. This wasn't one that was spur of the moment that some retirements can be. And I kind of, you know, look back at like even the retirement of my dad last year when he retired from work, it was a very spur of the moment thing. It was also emotional because he had been doing what he was doing for a very long time. And he was very successful at what he was doing for a very long time. That's Coach K. And so for him to say, this is not the last ride, but the finish, this is the finish line. We want to run through the finish line. I think that's what makes everyone really excited about this season because I, I think for all of us, I think I speak for all of us when we say we want this to be the most successful year that he's had. His last year ending with a title, we want all of those things for him, for this program, for these players, for this team. And he, his, his emotion that he showed really brought me to that point where we're not saying goodbye yet. This is the first step of one final ride where we can go and say that Coach K is the coach of the Duke Blue Devils, and let's take it as far as we can go. I was interested in in John Shire's pressure. I, I think that, as Donald mentioned, there are a lot of angles to Coach K's retirement decision and the way that he's approaching this final year that are fascinating. I want to talk about John Shire's press conference because one of the things that I noted, focusing less on the specific details of what he talked about, because we'll sort of see what comes true and what doesn't, but what struck me is how many members of the, the Duke basketball family were on hand to, to see just the press conference, just the introduction. And, you know, it was, only, it was only a few days in the making, but you had most of the 2010 team there. I saw guys who, who, whose pictures popped up on social media who are, you know, members of the Duke family but aren't specific John Shire guys. And all of them were sort of in town for the press conference and, and there for the celebration. And it struck me that that they are excited, that there are a lot of folks around the program who are excited about this hire. And, you know, I'm not saying that that wouldn't have happened if, if Coach K had reached out to Jeff Capel or, or Steve Wojciechowski to take this job, or if, if, the, um, if the program had decided to go in a totally different direction and hire a non-Duke guy for it. But I was struck by how excited they all were to have John there taking the, the leadership role and and that it seems like there are a lot of people on board with him. One of the concerns, we talked about this with Jordan Brenner, is that, look, Shire doesn't have the head coaching experience. He hasn't been in that role before. And, and what gives me a little bit more hope is that there are so many people that appear to be invested in his success here, not just the kind of standard people, like the people working on the ground in the program, but people around the program who are excited about it. So um, that was cool to see and gives me just that much more optimism that um, that this promotion is going to work out for John Shire and for Duke. Well, I know one thing that is changing that we learned as a result of the press conference. This is really important, folks. Coach K walked out to every time we touch. John Shire did not walk out to any music. So <laughs> this is hey, big you stuff. Know what? That's fine because maybe the future is yet to be written. Maybe there's because remember, Jason, you and I went to a Duke where every time we touched was not a song. It was Rock not. Lobster was the song. So, you know, it could be where the future of John Shire may not include every time we touch, 
it may be a new song that takes him into his legacy. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to mention, and we're about to wrap things up, we've been on for a while. Um, there's some really interesting timeline things here that, that weren't answered. Like for me, one of the things about the press conferences was the questions that didn't get answered because uh, C- Coach K, so he, he said that, you know, they, they, they had a search committee and we didn't realize that they had a search committee that, that spent like 10 days or so looking into this. Boy, they sure kept it quiet. I mean, did they actually interview anyone on that search committee other than John Shire? I think there was illusion that, that they had spoken to Tommy Amaker and Johnny Dawkins, but um, that there, there's no the question first that any of us, the first that any of the three of us heard about this whole set of changes, I think was Jeff Goodman's tweet that said, absolutely coach K is retiring. John Shire is expected to be named the head coach. And then hours after that, the program put out the official announcement that was exactly that from the first tweet. Yeah. So, so the, the, to me, it's really interesting that they, first of all, I'm not sure why you would hire a search committee and then hire the guy who was sitting next to the coach, but okay, but fine. You know, it's Duke's money. Duke can spend the money how they want. But so that timeline kind of thing with that search committee is interesting. The other timeline thing that's really interesting guys is really quick. Remember that John Shire was interviewing for the DePaul job back at the end of March. He was very much considered a candidate for DePaul um, around the same time. And it was just like a week later that Nate James left for Austin P. So when did coach K decide these things like did John Shire maybe pull back on the DePaul job because he knew that Coach K was going to be, you know, stepping down and that he was going to get the it, – to me, it's kind of there, – there are all these timeline things. I'm not sure we'll ever get real answers on these, but it is really interesting to think about how this whole scenario might have played out very, very differently if John Shire had gotten the DePaul job. And, and again, we don't know. Maybe he, maybe he was just doing it to practice – interviewing or something like that? I, I don't know, but to me, it's fascinating and, it, and it's an unanswered question. And really, if you compare it to the UNC uh, retirement of Roy Williams, we knew about that. Basically, rumors were flying around that for about three or four weeks before yep. it actually happened. And we knew at that point who was going to be interviewed. We knew who they had contacted and we knew who was going to be eventually coaching to be in QB Davis. This one was very under the radar. And for a school like Duke University to do that, kudos to the to the uh, athletic department for doing that because i mean it seems like every major news you know coaching hire in any sport has some sort of leak and this did not until the very end yeah so there's there's so much more to learn and find out and and obviously it's an exciting and interesting time for duke fans but we're going to wrap it up here uh with all that on uh, episode number 319 of the duke basketball report podcast again our thanks to freelance journalist, former ESPN, the magazine editor, Jordan Brenner, for his insights into John Shire. For Donald and Sam, I am Jason. Hey, folks, if you want to interact with us, give us a topic to talk about or let us know what you think of these things, feel free to email us. You can always reach us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Go out there, make sure you leave a, uh, a good review for us. You leave us a five-star review on uh, whatever platform it is you use to listen to podcasts. And uh, we'll be back in coming days. I promise you there is much more to say about the amazing coaching transition that is happening at Duke. Um, We got a lot more to talk about. We're going to be bringing it to you. We can't wait to talk to you some more. But until we do, here's the Duke band to play us out and take us home.